Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're getting villainous as I tell Drew all about one of soccer's forgotten masters of the dark arts. Ooh, Voldemort? Pretty close, but in this one, he's going to be named. Buckle up, this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a still healthy dose of stupidity, a part of Blue Wire Podcast Network and brought to you today by BetOnline.ag and Blue Chew. You know, there are a lot of changes going on around the world, but the one... One of the few consistents is the amount of stupidity in this podcast. We are just going to be complete and total morons for content. It um, ceases to amaze us and our listeners. It ceases to amaze? It never 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 ceases ceases to amaze. And and we've already made it to our first point. How stupid we are. How just god-awful dumb these two brothers are. Here we are. And that's why you love us. That's why you keep on coming back for more. (laughs) I'm everybody's most favorite freelance soccer writer, Adam Whitaker-Snavely, joined as always by my real-life brother, Drew Snavely, Manchester United stan forever. Forever and always. Amen. You know, the other day I was I was thinking about Bruno and how much joy he brought me in the very few games that he got to play before. Yeah, like the three games that he got to the play. The shit hit the fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, but, and hit the fan it did, my friend. But uh, we went on 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 a high note and that's all that really matters i think it did so i mean here we are psg's crowned league one champions league uh. league uh, whatever league uh league make them say uh <laughs> uh na 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 shut that match pete probably some good news for liverpool that there's some precedent uh mm. that that ali is awarding a title to a team despite the season not finishing out literally i saw somebody's tweet in like january or something that was like it will take an act of god to stop liverpool winning this <laughs> title and then <laughs> it is it is really beautiful even i'm sure liverpool will win the title and they deserve it as yeah much as that hurts to say as much as you don't like i that. mean they they were going to win the title so yeah. just give it to them honestly I, I was like they needed to win they needed to lose like all of their remaining games and and Manchester City would have had to win all of them except for one or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was something ridiculous. It wasn't going to happen. No. It just wasn't. Yeah. It, I mean, there are still a lot of games left and I mean, it would have been like a catastrophic injury crisis to, to stop anything. There's, there's been, no way. It would have been completely unprecedented for them to not win the title. Because leading by that much. Because even the Liverpool B team would be able to beat Aston Villa. Oh yeah, dude. Or Ox, Watford, Shakiri. Like, yeah. Ox, you get a front line. Oh yeah, Liverpool's B team is a front line of Ox, Shakiri, and uh, friggin' um, Divock Origi. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Minamino now too. 
Yeah. So yes. I mean, like he didn't get to play a lot. Yeah, he didn't get to play barely at all. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's it's a winter winter transfers. They didn't really get a chance to to make a mark on on their teams and. Not speaking of Bruno's case, because he actually had a significant did, impact uh, because Manchester United needed him to make an impact, whereas Minamino, he didn't really... He just came into a a, a record-setting team yeah. that was like, we don't need you. It's like an embarrassment of riches at this point. Yeah, because we almost got embarrassed by your team in the Champions League, and so we decided to take you. Except Liverpool did lose... They, they were out of the Champions League, so... Yeah, but I mean, they, they got him from Salzburg. So they will. Wayne Salzburg almost beat Liverpool at home. So Remember Liverpool that? will be reigning uh, UEFA Champions League winners for two years in a row with only one title. Probably <laughs> it's looking like I don't know. Ah, uh, man, I miss soccer. I miss soccer so much. I miss I miss the good soccer. I miss the bad soccer. Any soccer. I miss the soccer players that I hate. All the soccer. The people that really engage in some of the dark arts, so to speak. Oh. I, I think I'm spotting a transition here. A little, a little segue. I might be laying down for you. (laughs) As they say in France. (laughs) Yes, Drew, today's story, it's about somebody that I'm dubbing a professor of the dark arts. Somebody who believed ferociously in some absolutely backwards tactical and otherwise decisions and really just ferociously succeeded because of it for a while. Oh, wow. Good for them. We're going back to the year before I was born. Oh. We're going back to 1990. That's uh, one year before, I before was you were born. Yeah. 1990, Cambridge United. Oh. Now, when you think of Cambridge, England, you tend to think about Cambridge University. Yeah, prestigious. Yes, it's one of the most prestigious institutions institutions of higher learning in the world. In fact, students actually make up about one-fifth of the population of Cambridge, the city. So not only is it like the most famous thing in the city, the school, the school is basically the city. <laughs> yeah, a college town. It is a college town, <laughs> through and through. Now, Cambridge has been home to Cambridge United, however, since 1912, when the club was originally formed as Abbey United, which was named after the Abbey District in Cambridge. The club changed its name in the 50s and has been known as Cambridge United ever since. Um, They have been a lower-tier side throughout their existence, only being elected to the Football League in 1970, which is much later than a lot of the teams we talk about on this podcast. Yeah. And they spend a, they have spent a considerable amount of time in the fourth division since that point. There was one point, however, when Cram- Cambridge 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 when Cambridge United when Cambridge United stood on the doorstep of greatness, and they got there with a manager who was hailed as a tactical genius. The only problem was his brand of strategy was the type of tactics that everybody friggin' hated. Oh no! Oh, we're going there in the eighties. Cambridge United found themselves in League Two, but soon found their form and standings tumbling. They were relegated to League Three in 1984, then relegated again the very next year when they finished dead last in League Three, losing 33 games. Oh, brutal. (laughs) They followed that up with a 22nd place finish in League Four and had to actually reapply for election to the Football League because they dropped out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is what you call a free fall. That is, that is not what you want. That is terrible. Yeah. By the end of the decade, Cambridge had put together a stronger side, one on the back of several free transfers, journeymen, and a couple of young prospects, including one they had signed for free from Norwich, a guy by the name of Dion Dublin. Ooh. They had just missed out on promotion playoffs in 1989 and were expected to challenge for League 3 status the following year, 1989-1990. Yeah. But began the following season by going second bottom of the league in October. Head coach Chris Turner resigned and recommended his assistant, a man by the name of John Beck, should take the helm. John Beck. John Beck. Sounds like a, a guy who knows what he's talking about. John Beck is the lead character of our story. It's today. very it's very close to, to John Steinbeck. It is. And it's about as miserable as John Steinbeck oh, as well. Oh gosh. <laughs> I speak from experience uh, as an English major and also as somebody who read The Red Pony in the eighth grade, which all of our classmates nicknamed The Dead Pony. Yes. Sorry to spoil it for you, but if you haven't read The Red Pony, the Red Pony in question dies in the first chapter of the book. Brutal. (laughs) Beck was extremely young, only 35 or 36 years old, and had actually played for Cambridge the previous few seasons as a player coach before injuries ended a career that saw him play throughout the Football League with QPR, Fulham, Coventry City, and Bournemouth. QPR and Coventry, in particular, were very good teams in the First Division, at that time, and he was regarded as a very skilled midfielder. He transitioned to assistant coach for the man that signed him to Cambridge United, but after Chris Turner's resignation, he was thrust into the head coach position in the middle of the season, first as an interim and then starting in January as the full-fledged head coach. Despite being barely older or the same age as some of his players, yeah, The Cambridge United players were willing to follow Beck's obsessive instruction and some more unorthodox coaching techniques. Thanks to his playing experience in the first division and their own position at the literal bottom of the football league. Yes. Um, You know, you don't have much options when, if you don't do well, you might not be a professional soccer player much longer. Yeah. You know? Backs against the wall. Yeah. You might as well go out and, and, and try to win. I guess. A phrase soon became Beck's mantra, lifted from some old FA instructional manuals. He would say it in training. He had it posted up around the training and playing grounds, even on the backs of the doors to toilet stalls, so players would stare at it while they were using the facilities. (laughs) Never forget. It was everywhere. (laughs) Simplicity is genius. Ooh. That's a... Sean Dyke ass quote right there. Yo, dude, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, my friend. You know it. I love that he put it up in the bathroom stalls. <laughs> Keep this on your mind. Yes. Oh my god. At all times. <laughs> simplicity is genius. For John Beck, simplicity and tactics was the way for Cambridge to win promotion and move forward. And simplicity and tactics meant one tried-and-true way to approach every single game without fail. His players were going to pressure the ball as hard as they could. They were going to force turnovers, and then they were going to kick the ball as far as they could up the field. John Beck soon became known as the long ball master. Yes. And everybody hated it. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast brought to you today by a new sponsor, Blue Chew. Guys, you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Go to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Thank you so much to Blue Chew, and also thank you to our other sponsor for this week's podcast, BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. You missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new free welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Thank you so much to both Blue Chew and Bet Online uh, for sticking with us, Blue Wire Podcast, through this weird time that we are currently finding ourselves in. Uh, almost all of our podcasts on the network are sports podcasts, but these people are still sticking with us even through this time when there are no sports. So we're really appreciative of them. Uh, we want to give some love back to them. And if you feel like you can use either of those products, remember to use that promo code Blue Wire, all one word, and use those uh so just so we can support the people that are supporting us uh and thank you so much for listening as always if you want to support our podcast more you can leave us a rating and review and right now i think it's time to get back to the story and we are back from our sponsor break adam John Beck. John Beck. Has a style of play mm-hmm. that um, Sean Dyche would applaud. Just straight out of the 1800s, you know? Yeah, yeah. Simple, simple, simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it stupid, simple. Keep it stupid, simple. Um, an incredibly frustrating style of play. Not a beautiful aspect of the game oh no this does not make the game the beautiful game no it doesn't you know we want that joga benito we want the flashy flair the tiki taka the dramatic the dramatic counterattacks with all you know like 15 passes on the ground yeah we don't want broken femurs and long balls well that's exactly what john beck was gonna give you baby (laughs) cambridge under john beck looked as follows Anytime the opposition had the ball, players were supposed to close down the ball, rough them up, goad them into fouls, poke the ball away. Anything they could do to interrupt the opposing team in possession and win the ball back, that's what they were supposed to do. After winning the ball, Beck's attacking plans were equally simple. 
have his players hoof the ball up the field, either directly into the box or into the corner for a winger to chase down. The midfield served essentially no purpose in Cambridge United's attack. They intentionally attacked with as few passes as possible. Beck actually brought statistical analyst in to talk to the team about just how few passes a team needed in which to score. <laughs> passes were the enemy to be used as infrequently as possible. The team ran, the team hit balls to the corners, the team practiced crossing, and the forwards practiced finishing. That was it. It was a brain-dead style of play, with Beck arranging all the moves and rotations, and the players simply going out and executing without having to worry about creating anything themselves. If Cambridge were going to win promotion, they were going to do so by gooning it up and playing some long ball. Keep it goony, baby. It's like the exact opposite of Barcelona. Oh, yeah. The polar opposite. They, he didn't want anybody thinking for themselves, basically. He came up with all the moves, all the plans, and they just went out and did them. That's, uh, that is incredibly simple. He actually took one of, one of the, the big moves that made his team work was he took one of his uh, fullbacks and put him in midfield just because he had a crazy engine and loved to get stuck into tackles because he didn't want his midfielder dribbling and he didn't really want them like doing anything fancy with passes. He just wanted them to run around, tackle, and then hoof the ball upfield. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's all you need in that system. And it can be effective when done properly. Mm-hmm. Now, this style made young forward Dion Dublin something of a star, as he was never starved for service, obviously. You, get, you just have a team that's the whole, your whole point is crossing and getting the ball into the box. Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's it. And he could use his speed on breakaways to create havoc in opposing defenses. By the end of the season, Cambridge had perfected their long ball style, with John Beck winning manager of the month in both January and February. Cambridge had a surprising run in the FA Cup that was narrowly ended 1-0 against Crystal Palace Ooh. and then charged home to qualify for the promotion playoffs. In the playoffs, Cambridge won by sticking to their style and letting Beck take the gambles. In one playoff game against Maidstone, Beck left three forwards at half field during a Maidstone corner. Cambridge cleared the ball up the pitch and had an instant breakaway yeah. with Dion Dublin scoring. Let's go. Dublin <laughs> finished the game by earning a penalty, sending Cambridge to the playoff final. Dublin again scored the winning goal in the final, and Cambridge were all the way up into the third division. Ooh, League Two, baby. I think at the time it was League Three. Because oh, I think, because I think, yeah. this was before pre, Premier League, pre Premier League, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, th yeah. I think it was still League, like League One, League Two, League Three, League Four. Or it was like Championship. League One. League I don't two. actually know when the championship started, so I'm not sure. Maybe championship started when the Premier League started. They were up into the third tier, and that's third what tier, I know. and that's all that matters, really. Mm -hmm. Nothing else matters. Let me take a drink of my Marg. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. We are recording on Taco Tuesday. Thank the uh, happy. Uh, white people uh, think that they're celebrating Mexican Culture Day. Yes, exactly. But I like tequila any day of the week, so I will accept a margarita. And limes. And limes. And tacos. I like all those things. Yeah. Now, Beck only signed one player in the offseason. <laughs> moving, up, moving up the league, usually you have this process where 
you dump a lot of players and sign a lot of new ones. Because usually when you move up a league, you've gained a lot of money. Yeah, the board gives you more funds to spend. And you usually get a lot of prize money for promotion as well. Yes. And you realize, hey, the players that I had might not be good enough in this next league. You you hear a lot about um, making the leap. Yes. You know, and a lot of players aren't able to make that leap to the next tier. Yeah, that's just the way of the world. Like People were talking about that with like Jack Grealish. Would he be able to to make the leap? Because he's been in the Premier League before, didn't do well, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, the players do make the leap and they can perform. John Beck, however, wanted to keep all of his players, that core group of players that had bought into his system. I was going to say it also that does make sense. Like having sure. a cohesive team that is used to playing with each other can a lot of times be better than a bunch of individual talent where you go off and sign like six new guys and you have to integrate them into the first team. Yeah. That can uh, create some confusion. Sure. You don't know people's tendencies. Absolutely. So that makes sense to me. He did sign one player however, Richard Wilkins from Colchester. Wilkins was a midfielder, which, as we know, wasn't used very much yes. in Beck's attacks. Yes. But Beck saw something else he had that his team could use. Wilkins could chuck the crap out of the ball from a throw-in. Oh, yes. He had a crazy long throw-in, with which Cambridge could turn throw-ins within the attacking half basically into set-piece opportunities. Honestly, throw-ins are still grossly underused (laughs) dude i remember there was another there was a premier league player like a few years ago i can't remember his name but he had a crazy throw in and his team were just basically like if the ball was like within like 30 or 40 yards of the end line they were used he was throwing it into the box and they were just trading it like a corner kick why not and everybody was pissed they were like oh this isn't good football i mean liverpool literally got a, a throw in coach that that one guy who like literally specializes just in throw-ins. Yep. And all of Liverpool's um, outside backs, like they got to improve their throw-ins. Added on like meters to to their throw-ins. I mean, sure, it's, it's effective. Yeah, it's important. Now again, Cambridge, now in the third division, marched up the table, and again made a long run to the FA Cup. They made it to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. This time, they were knocked out by Arsenal at Highbury by a score of 2-1. to They were only the sixth team to score at Highbury that entire season. So Cambridge Cambridge United, they have a a tiny stadium that seats like 10,000 max. And like two years previous, they were like maxing out their crowds at like 2,000 people. Like yeah. nobody was showing up for this team. They're a tiny, tiny club. And they, their playing style was straight trash. Yeah, their playing mm-hmm. style is awful. People just look at how they play and they're like, that's a joke. Yeah. And they get up to the third division and they start taking on Arsenal and almost like doing well against Arsenal. Yeah. Like almost getting a result away to Arsenal. That's wild. Cambridge, with a backlog schedule due to the FA Cup, continued to win outrunning and outgunning their opponents, unfazed by the fixture schedule clog, thanks to Beck and his obsessive fitness training. Oh, yes. Cambridge won the league 
on the last day of the season, overcoming a two-point deficit when Southend dropped points at home and the U's managed to win their last game of the season. That's what they're called, the U's? The U's. Cambridge United is the U's. Why? Why are they the U's? Like the letter U. Cambridge United. That's so stupid. I'm sorry. I don't have a good... I I would love to... It's like Gillingham being named the Jills, man. I don't... I thought it was Gillen. I thought it was no. Oh, yeah, you're we right. said Gillingham. We said Gillingham on the we podcast. Said, we, we said the Gills. It. We yeah. said the Gills, but it was really Gillingham. It was the Gills, which is stupid and it's also to pronounced Torquay United and not Torquay. All right, well, we already corrected we, that. We, right? we did. Okay, we don't need to go. back. We corrected we that. We don't need to relive all need to the times that. that we've mispronounced. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was at this point that Cambridge's reputation started to precede them. <laughs> Their style of play was called nihilistic. And primitive. <laughs> Beck was called Dracula as he was sucking the life from English soccer with his tactics. Oh, yeah. Teams also hated visiting Cambridge as Beck's philosophies on making life difficult for opposition extended beyond the field. Oh, no. The balls provided for opposing teams to warm up with were soaked in a bathtub beforehand so they would be lot waterlogged and difficult to use. <laughs> Cambridge would intentionally rough up their own field so that teams that tried to pass the ball a lot on the ground would struggle with potholes and bumps in the pitch. Oh my gosh. The temperature in the opposing locker room would be turned up to sauna-like levels, while the water in the sinks and showers would be ice cold as they would turn off the heat to the water systems. (laughs) Playing in Cambridge was simply miserable for anyone. This guy turned into like a cartoon villain soccer coach. Like every possible thing they could do, they did. Actually, there was a there's an interview that I read with um, Dion Dublin. Yeah. Um, where he he basically is like any any story you have heard from that time, it's all true. Like everything's every, true. Every single thing you have heard about John Beck and how way we played and what we did, it's all true. How often does something like that happen? Where somebody actually says, you know, <laughs> every there's a lot. There are a lot of rumors out there. And I can say with 100% confidence, they're all right. <laughs> dude, dude, waterlogging balls to give to people is evil. Speaking as somebody who has had to do, like, heading drills with waterlogged soccer balls, oh, yeah. it is the, it's like just putting your head through a rock. I mean, yeah, there's no way you'd be able to get away with that today. No, no. But, abs- well, teams bring their own. Yeah, 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 it was just it's funny to look back at some of the things like, oh, yeah, why would the home team provide provide balls for the away team? Like they don't have balls to bring. Uh, I mean, I guess that just was expected. Like that was the way it was. Back it was then. Gamesmanship. I don't know. It, was, it was certainly gamesmanship. I think John Beck would fit right in in CONCACAF. <laughs> it also fit right in CONCACAF for the following reason. It should also be noted that Beck didn't just inconvenience his opponents. No, no. He also attempted to motivate and benefit his own team. He doused his players in ice water before matches to help wake them up and get them going. The grass on the pitch at Cambridge United was intentionally left longer in the corners so that the balls hoofed there for wingers to chase would hold up. Which is like something that happened exactly to the United States men's national team when they played, I believe... Honduras in the last World Cup qualifying round when they went to Honduras. Uh-huh. And friggin' Honduras had um Albert Elise and Kevin Kyoto, who are they they play or Ramel, Ramel Kyoto. Um they play for the Houston Dynamo. 
but they're just fast as crap. Yeah. And they had them playing wings and their grass on the pitch was like, it was terrible, bumpy pitch and the grass was super long. And I literally watched them just rocket balls in the corner and then the ball would just stop. Stop. <laughs> and, and it was just like foot race and they would win every time. It was wild. Brutal. <laughs> so yeah, Cambridge United would do that. Um, another thing that they would do. Oh, he even offered cash prizes to his team for whoever could kick the ball the furthest in training competitions. What? Yes, five years before the MLS All-Star Game Skill Challenge featured a long kicking contest. Longest kick. Cambridge United was was paying its players to win such a competition in training and then using those skills to march up to the second division of English soccer. Oh my gosh. Beck was a maniac, but all of his players bought into the madness. And it brought Cambridge unprecedented levels of success, as well as adoration of home fans, even if everyone else hated their guts. Because Cambridge was winning. It didn't matter to the home fans how they were playing or if people didn't like it. It was kind of like the literal version of no one likes us, we don't care. Yeah. Like the the Millwall thing. Yeah. That was Cambridge United in the early 90s. Oh my god! Everybody hated playing them and they didn't care. Because they were having success. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of times the difference between successful teams and not successful teams. Just buying into the manager's style of play, yeah. regardless of how it looks or how it feels. If everybody buys in, you're going to get good results regardless. There is always like a more attractive style of play. Especially, cer- certainly in the case of Cambridge United. Yes, <laughs> yes. but I mean... When you have all those players buying into a system like that, that's why Burnley's so successful. That's why Wolves are so successful. That's why Sheffield's so successful. Well, Wolves are also so successful because they they also bought some really good players. Yeah, <laughs> all from Portugal. Yes, I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a bunch of Portuguese people and Raul. Yes, exactly. And so, I mean, when you have all those people working to a collective goal beyond just winning games. But ways to win games. Sure. I mean, it's it's a recipe for success. Yeah. So I mean, and Cambridge found it. Yeah. They got the secret sense. sauce, yeah. baby. Yeah. They put it in there. They mix that secret sauce into the chili. Stir that pot up. Serve it like gruel. What is gruel? Gruel is like a gross, sloppy type of type of food. It sounds like a gross, sloppy type of food. Yeah. It really. It's a. It's that doesn't. I feel like it doesn't really narrow anything down it doesn't for me. no it's kind of a mystery meat kind of deal. <laughs> oh, like prison food in russia <laughs> like uh you got the metal ladle yes slap it on the yes. lunch tray no that is exactly move on you have a you have a exactly uh, exactly what you're gross. picturing that's what gruel is <laughs> now cambridge united went into the 1991-1992 season shots out 1991 the year of my birth having been promoted the last two years consecutively. They're only a couple years removed from playing in the fourth division. They're already playing in the second division. But the 91-92 season of English soccer was also incredibly important because the very next year, we'd see the inauguration of the Premier League. Okay. Anyone in the first division would join the Premier League, which promised to be a far more commercialized and sanitized version of the game than the rough-and-tumble soccer and hooliganism that had plagued England in the decades before. Yeah. And as such, people were standing to make more money. It was this It was this big, like, we could do this, we could make a lot more money kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, TV deals. Yes. I mean, yeah. sponsorships. There was, I mean, there was this whole thing where um, Margaret Thatcher 
had said that, um, oh, what was the quote that she said? It was, she was making fun of poor people because she was a, a terrible person. Um, yeah, it's pretty messed up. Uh, but she was like a, a slum sport in slum stadiums. That's what she called soccer. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the Premier League was like, we're going we're gonna to turn this into more of a, a clean sport that people could get behind. A nice gentrified version yes, of, of yes, soccer. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly so. As such, plenty of teams in the second division were interested in acquiring Beck services as a promotion guru. Obviously. He, however, was not interested. No. He wanted to become the first manager to achieve three consecutive promotions in the Football League with the same team, even though people like Leicester City were willing to pay him handsomely for his services. Man, this is a Eddie Howe-esque story. Oh, a little bit, <laughs> but without any of the feel-good of Eddie yeah, Howe's story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he wanted to become the first manager to achieve three consecutive promotions, and Cambridge would have to do it against a bunch of stalwarts of the English game at this point. They're not playing, like, Maidenhead or, like, really, really tiny tiny teams at this point. Yeah. They're playing people like Sunderland, Blackburn, Newcastle was in the second division. Yeah. Leicester was in the second division. Yeah. Cambridge, who played in a city in a in a stadium that could barely seat ten thousand people, were gonna face an uphill climb. These teams had way more resources, they had bigger stadiums, they had more revenue. It was gonna be tough. In a strange way though, Cambridge were one of the most analytics forward teams in existence. <laughs> so they like funny. they preceded the analytics era by like three decades but they came to the conclusion that like the that was like the opposite of beautiful like soccer that people kind of people kind of conflate with the analytics kind of style of soccer it's like a a jose Mourinho wet dream where like yes it's like i jose is famous for being like uh teams that have possession of the ball all the time make more mistakes than people than teams that don't have the ball. So I'm completely fine with not having the ball because we'll be able to pounce on more mistakes than they will be able to pounce on our mistakes. Yep. <laughs> Beck was obsessed with marginal gains and, above all else, efficiency. And despite having players that were cast off or misfits in other clubs, remember so much of this core of this team that he gathered in the fourth division, he got on freeze. There were free transfers, including Dion Dublin. Um... They formed a core that could do one thing really, really well. And when he put that style of play up against massive historic clubs, it still worked. Yeah. I mean, they got a result against Arsenal last year. Well, they almost got a result. They, they almost lost got to a, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who, who says they can't get a results against second-tier teams? Yeah. Cambridge flew off the mark, climbing to second place in the fall and securing wins against Leicester and Swindon. And for the first time in the club's history, they went top of the second division with a victory over Ipswich. Teams complained that Cambridge didn't even attempt to play football or do things the right way. But Cambridge didn't care. They were winning. They were better than they had ever been before in the team's history. And if this is what it took, it didn't matter. Yeah. They remained there. Till the end of the until the end of December, so basically halfway through the season, Cambridge United are in first place. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah. Slowly, however. Oh no. Injuries. Ah. Uh, tired legs yes. began to come into play. 
where Cambridge could run other teams off the pitch in lower divisions, they were playing teams with greater resources and deeper player rosters than ever before. By late winter, Cambridge had slipped to 7th place. The U's clung to hope, scraping out results here and there, while slowly but surely, the core group of the players that Beck brought all the way up from, from the 4th division began to crumble. Yeah. And new additions failed to buy in as the older ones had. Uh... Tiny, tiny Cambridge finished the season in 5th place still. Wow. Qualifying for the promotion playoffs yeah. with a solid chance at getting promoted to the Premier League. But after a first a first leg one to one draw with Leicester in the semifinal round, they lost the return leg five to nothing. Ooh, brutal. It might be accurate to say Cambridge ran out of steam, but it also would be accurate to say that Beck was truly going for broke. Going down by two early goals against Leicester in that second leg after a couple of missed chances by Cambridge that looked pretty good, Beck reached the most pure form of his no midfield strategy. In the second half, he played a team with five forwards in it. Oh my gosh! It hey did man. not work. <laughs> sometimes you got. Sometimes you got to go for it. There was he, a defense, and there was a forward line, he, and there was literally no midfield. You got to throw the kitchen sink. He did, and I, he did. I mean, yeah, I I get it, I get it. I mean, what do you have to lose at that point? Sure, yeah. but uh, it was just it, it is it is interesting, but it also makes sense. Like, you know, my team is so fit. And in the lower divisions, like after your first choice players, like who you who do you really have that's like going to help you against my team, um, as opposed to going up to teams with a lot of resources. Yeah, that they can actually have pretty decent reserves, and so it changes the game. A five-five formation is also definitely interesting, especially <laughs> if yeah. you have all of those five forwards standing at the halfway mark. And all of your defense back defending. Yes. Literally, the, the opposition can just stand on the ball uh-huh. in between those two lines. And then your forwards have to go back and try to yeah. defend or something. Or your defenders have to come up exposing holes. Not a, a viable uh, way to, to win a soccer match. Simplicity is genius, my man. <laughs> that offseason, Cambridge's roster began to become picked apart. Yeah. Star Dion Dublin was signed by Manchester United, where he actually only spent two seasons and didn't make that many appearances, but he did make over 300 appearances and scored more than 100 goals in the Premier League for both Coventry, or not for both, but between Coventry City and Aston Villa, and during that time became one of the best scorers in the Premier League. Yeah. He originally joined Cambridge United when he was 19. At this point, he was 21, 22 years old. Um... And just became renowned as one of the best scorers in the whole entire league. Actually yeah. was considered a major snub for England's 1998 World Cup team, mm. which he didn't was not selected for. Yeah. But he did also appear for England. So like a kid that Norwich City let go for free to one of the worst teams yeah. in the football league three years later was considered the biggest snub of England's World Cup team. That, that is a really beautiful story. Yeah. In, in the power of um, just buying into to one manager's system. Yes. Because, like, that could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's so crazy because you see strikers or wingers or, or midfielders or defenders in any position that have – they seem like they have so much talent. Yes. But they're just not on successful teams. And so 
they don't have necessarily successful careers, which is sad. Yeah. Another one of Cambridge's forwards and another winger were also let go, while replacement forwards that were brought in just didn't really jive with what Beck was trying to do. And the following season began with the club's main goal-scoring threats clearly missing. The team wanted a change of style from Beck, one that John Beck refused to supply. <laughs> no way, man. I am not going to stop. I'm not going to change styles, baby. I am who I am. He, he, that's really what he was. And my teams are who they are. <laughs> Beck was removed with the team in 18th place in the second division the next season. Rough. Three years later, Cambridge was back in the fourth division of English soccer. John Beck would go on to manage Preston North End and Lincoln City, never managing to recreate his magic. He had an incredibly brief return stint with Cambridge in 2001 before non-league appointments in 2010 and 2012 with Histon and Kettering Town. Histon. Histon. In 2013... John Beck was hired by the English FA to help coaches achieve higher UEFA licenses. Heck yeah. Despite the fact that his coaching style was widely regarded as a horrible relic of a bygone (laughs) era. (laughs) An article run by The Guardian at the time entitled, Why the Future of English Football Should Not Be About John Beck. Oh gosh. Daniel Taylor said the following about him. In the case of Beck, good luck to the guy. Genuinely. If he is still making a living in the game and has established himself with the organization whose coaching courses, according to the FA Learning Blurb, are to create a knowledge bank for the whole football family, it is just difficult to be enthused when you remember the Dracula reputation. (laughs) The bete noir of the beautiful game, one newspaper called him in the 1990s. Or that little nugget from Glenn Hoddle when he called up Dion Dublin, then a Coventry City player, to play for England. Hoddle recalled playing against Dublin for Swindon against Cambridge. You couldn't tell whether his touch was any good because the ball was always in the air. (laughs) If nothing else, it is funny to think all these years later that Hoddle appears to be unemployable in the FA's eyes while Beck is part of the new era. And that's the story of Cambridge, their rise and fall, and John Beck, the professor of the soccer dark arts. Gosh. Uh, a trailblazer for the likes of... A trailblazer for Sean, backwards thinking. The Sean Dyches. I think Sean Dyche is does get a little bit of a bad rap. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. His team definitely defends, first and foremost. Oh, yeah. But they are capable of doing some good things. Yeah, they actually have uh, a counter-attacking strategy beyond just, hey, let's boot the ball. Because... Kick the ball to the corners where we have left the grass long. They don't have... <laughs> Incredibly fast forwards. No, so no, they, they they're don't. not they're not really set up for something like that. Certainly not. But yeah, it's a uh, man that that is definitely a style of play that you see in the lower leagues and and why to this day to this day um, lower tier teams in England are incredibly rough and tough because it is effective in that lower in those lower leagues where. Yeah. The touch isn't as good. The play isn't as fast. You can you can get away with that kind of stuff. And he just found a way to streamline it. Yeah. He literally just said, he, he literally said, never try. Never try to play well. Like, always just kick it long. Like, it's not like a plan B. This is our plan A, and the, all the other plans are in the trash. You know what? You, you know what, men? Whoever has the most guts and balls 
is going to win this match. Whoever can kick the ball up the pitch the farthest is going to win. And therefore, <laughs> I will offer you cash prizes to see who will kick the ball the farthest. <laughs> um, some sources quickly for the story. We had Paul McFarlane, or Paul McFarlane for These Football Times, which was a large part of it. But we also had Daniel Taylor for The Guardian, Sean Cole for The Blizzard Football Quarterly, and Andrew Georgeson for, the Cambr- for Cambridgeshire Live. Ah, very nice. Cambridgeshire. What a story. Yeah, dude. John uh, Beck. John Beck. I was kind of like, oh, man, that's that's kind of weird that people were like, wow, why did they hate this guy so much? Because I just kind of found it. I was like, yeah. why did people didn't like this? And I read it, and I was like, oh, that's why people didn't like it. Because <laughs> he was just, it wasn't like he was, like, problematic as yeah. far as I know. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like he was, like, openly, like, racist or anything like that or did something, did a war crime as yeah. other people on this yeah. podcast have done before. He's it not was, like a terrible human being, in other words. It's just like he was just a dick. <laughs> I'm as far as tactics go, and as far as making lives miserable for people visiting Cambridge. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's I feel like back in the day, it's all part of the games gamesmanship, you know. Whereas, like, yeah, I I'm going to make my home field advantage my home field advantage. I'm not gonna pamper my guests. So so you're in charge. So if you're in charge, you're also cranking the temperature up to like sauna levels. I mean, and leaving the showers cold and intentionally making sure that they were practicing with waterlogged balls. If you could get away with that back then, I don't see why I don't see why more <laughs> managers were not doing that because it seems like they weren't capitalizing on the those loopholes in in the rule books. True, so cynical. Cynical uh, with with this uh, hindsight. I mean, obviously you can't get away with something like that now. No, I mean, certainly not. You, you'd be fined. You'd be punished. Whatever, you know. But Unless you're in CONCACAF. Yeah, true. CONCACAF, no rules, baby. You know, w- managers have to look for every edge that is allowed in the eyes of the law in the eyes of the fa and so if stuff like that was allowed back then why wouldn't you take advantage of that especially when you're in the fourth tier why not and if that was successful back then continue doing it until they make you to stop sure i don't know hey it's it's i don't know i mean we know where you stand and that's fine i don't yeah i don't necessarily want to come across that as a villain (laughs) Uh, but I will if it means I'm going to win this game. But like, if it's a lot in the rule book, it, in the legality of the game, why not take advantage of that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> make them make rules to prevent you from doing what you want to do. Is that's what I have this to feels, say. This feels this feels very like Iron Rand soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just like I. Like I get it, the the guys. No, I get it. I I mean, like I too played high school soccer in America. I know what yeah. it's like to defend a lot and kick the ball upfield. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you still went through attacking drills and sure I did. You went on your your counter attacking drills and um, hopefully ingrained those those attacking patterns so that they just kind of become second nature. Oh yeah, sure. But. Yeah, it's uh I don't know. I, I I respect it. I can respect it. I didn't have to go up against it. So I think that's why it's it's definitely easier for me. 
it, it, it's easy for people on high horses to be like, we're trying to play this beautiful game. True. And yeah. this dude is just muddying it up. He's like, why can't I do that? I'm allowed and, and to do that. Like, I'm going to muddy it up even more just because you said so. That's why I'll defend Sean Dyche and what he does and like more defensive managers and what they do because they're allowed to do that. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's part of the game. It's not beautiful. It's really needy and gritty. <laughs> but... Let's get down the knee. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is part of the game. I mean, not everybody can be Barcelona tiki taki. Somebody's got to be Somebody's got to be Diego Simeon. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, Antoine Griezmann, Griezmann said it best. He's like, we might not be the most technical team, but we get results. That's true. And then get to do Fortnite dances on Arsenal. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh man. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. As always, if you would like to support us more, as that little pre-roll tells you before this episode starts, you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings and reviews that we get, the more people see our podcast, the higher up in the algorithm it gets put, and that just leads to bigger and better things for us. So if you have not done that, please, we encourage you to do so. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at DeadballPod everywhere. Twitter, where we are most active. We're also on Instagram or on Facebook if you want to follow us there. And finally, if you're looking for one more way to support the podcast, we have our Teespring store with some merch. We've got t-shirts. We've got a long sleeve shirt. We've got hoodies, all with some Deadball Brothers logos and designs made by yours truly, Adam Whitaker-Snavely, the person speaking to you right now. And the link to that will be in the bio below alongside our some of our promotional links and stuff like that that we are doing. You can also email us at deadballpod at gmail.com with any story suggestions, concerns with the podcast. I Sometimes we get a little problematic. Something, yeah. <laughs> sometimes we're a little stupid uh, or idiotic, and it happens. I mean, we are on our – this is our 43rd story that we've done so 43. far. We've actually d- we've done more than forty three stories because I specifically had an episode where we did three individual stories within a story. Oh, was that the celery and garlic one and stuff the like celery, that? Celery, garlic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, that. That was just like food. The food episode. That was the foodie episode. Yeah, the Double so. Brothers Master Chef. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been doing this for a while, and we're we're digging. I mean, there's so much. In, in the cookie jar of yeah. the, the soccer story world. I remember and when we we're f- not we're nowhere near the, the surface. We're still digging. I remember I remember when you uh, when you said like a few weeks into doing this, you're like, you think we're gonna run out of stories? <laughs> I was like, nah. Nah. And I feel more confident than ever about that. Nah. I mean it it is hundreds of years of, of stories and history that yep. um, we love digging into. We love telling you guys, telling each other um, and so we're gonna we're gonna keep on giving it to you, and we're not gonna stop. <laughs> we're not gonna stop unless you ask us to. Unless you tell us to, in which case we will respect your decision to stop listening <laughs> to us. Uh, gosh. But until that time, my name is Adam Whitaker Snavely, and I'm Drew, and we love you very, very much. We'll see you next week. Bye bye now. Bye.